Uh, all right. Well, you know what? Let's uh, let's get out of here. Gate bite. So <laughs> nice try, <laughs> sir. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Flurry, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Oh, hold on. What? <laughs> Sorry, no Steve today. So uh, that's right. So I had to. I had to improvise. Uh, my name is Rob Minot. Joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. That's me. And uh, yeah, no Steve Barkley. Nope. So no cowbell either. Well, you just rang the cowbell. So. Well, I did, but I had to run over to his <laughs> to his chair to do it. Uh, yeah, Steve is out uh, at some shows this week, so he is not here. So it's just uh, just two of us. Again, yep. Yep. Oh, look at you yawning. I'm tired. Yeah, you had a four-day weekend. I know, but yesterday was awful. What? What is it? The change in weather? No, I just didn't sleep well, and it was mm. just kind of a crabby day, and just kind of like, yeah. You had a crabby day off? You had a Monday yeah. off, and you were crabby? I was. That was like a waste of a Monday. You could have worked <laughs> if you wanted to be crabby. You should have just, should have just told Steve, yeah, you know what, I decided. I'm, I'm grumpy today, I'm so I'm going to work. I'm in a crap mood anyways. I'm not going to enjoy myself. I'll just work. Our listener audience, I'm not always crabby. Despite what Rob feels. It's true. <laughs> it breaks, breaks into the tequila. Although you bastard, you went to Chili Pepper House on Friday. Oh, yeah. yeah it was good, too. Yeah, you suck. <laughs> it was good. I bet. It's okay, but it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. We had that that on Friday, and then and I ended up having Indian food on Saturday, and Sunday it was just, it was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, yeah. Not good. Not a good situation. <laughs> so don't do that, people. Hmm. Um, hey, Ryan, yes. what are we doing today? Today, we are talking with Nancy Thorogood, who is a research associate at the Rick Hansen Institute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This will be cool. This will be really cool. So the Rick Hansen Institute is also very different from the Rick Hansen Foundation, who, of course, we talked to, and we talked to the man himself, not to brag, but we did. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is more the research arm into um, spinal cord injury mm-hmm. research and uh, rehabilitation and I think they, I think they even dabble a bit in in sort of aftercare and assistive yep. technology a bit too. So research, research, research. Yes. Cool. So we're excited about uh, having Nancy on a little bit later. Uh, but first, you know what I want to talk about, Ryan? What do you want to talk about? And this will please you to no end. I'm right. sure. Uh, let's spend a little bit of time talking about Apple. Apple, like the company Apple, or the fruit <laughs> you Apple. You know the kind of <laughs> Apple that. <laughs> Okay, listening audience, sit down. You're in for a ride. Uh, but no, they had a big uh, they had a big event yesterday, and mm-hmm. you watched it. So uh, I thought we'd uh, talk a little bit about uh, the stuff that they announced, and sure. if any of it ties to accessibility at all. Alrighty. There was a big Apple event yesterday. They announced. Uh, will you tell us what they announced, Ryan? 
They announced a bunch of services. So their new Apple News Plus, I think it was called. It's their news app, but they are also adding up to no over 300 different magazines that you can now subscribe to as well. And your one subscription can actually be shared amongst family. So not everybody has to have their own subscription. So, you know, of course, Apple talked about their design and their... Okay, well, can I just pause right there? Who the hell subscribes to a magazine, a digital magazine? Probably lots of people. Really? I would never do that. If I wanted to subscribe to a magazine, I would subscribe to a physical copy of it, maybe, like so that I could have it on the coffee table or whatever. Maybe I'm a dinosaur, but I I don't really... Like, if you're in the grocery store, Al, do you see a copy of Rolling Stone? You're like, oh, I'm going to buy that, and you take it home. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm still doing that. And that's kind of why I think the subscription model is probably not going to work for magazines, because people see an article or... You know, whoever's on the cover and like, oh, that looks interesting. Maybe I'll pick that one up. That's exactly it. I think what they're forgetting is that magazines have always been about, the, you know, the presentation, the look of the magazine, like the physical, like the pictures. Like it, it's, oh, that's it's, all it's still to in go, here. It's, yeah, but it's to go on a coffee table. Like to have a digital, <laughs> it's like having a digital painting. It's not even an ebook. It's, Technically, it is, but I think that in and who knows, you know, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Yeah. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe I'm out of the loop on this. Uh, if p- other people think differently, by all means, email us at cow- <laughs> cowbell at atbanter.com and and you know say, hey, Rob was wrong. Uh, but I, my feeling is, is that um, people aren't interested in in reading magazines digitally. Um, I might be surprised. Because even like because you know pictures like the layout of a magazine there's a, there's an artistry to mm-hmm. laying out a magazine um, that you don't get from say an ebook, right? So I think it's a very different animal and and I, I don't know like uh, online magazine service just does not excite me now maybe newspapers okay I, that that I could sort of get behind I could understand that and they did you know they did talk about I think a couple. Like the Wall Street Journal yep. is coming, um, or is there now? The app actually got released late yesterday afternoon, or the the iOS update that supports the new News Plus app got released yesterday. So you know, I haven't dug into it yet. I might you know take a look at a magazine and see how accessible it, it is or was. Right. Um, you know, which is a whole different conversation. Well, it is, and that's kind of the one thing that stood out to me yesterday is the Apple event. Every time they played a video on the screen, it was was not described. Yeah, yeah. You know, so they would have these videos playing of people playing games or whatever they were showing, and Apple touts accessibility all the time. None of that was audio described. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. They didn't. I don't think the word accessibility came up once in terms of all these new services. And you nope. think that you would think that they could at least add a sentence to say this online you know magazine subscription service that we were talking about and say and by the way everything will be accessible yeah and that's why i want to take a look at it so and i'm sure apple viz will be looking at it i'm sure others as well will be reporting on it and commenting on it people just don't digest news in the same way as they used to in terms of newspapers right and, you know and again who knows maybe I, maybe i'm just speaking for myself maybe i'm a dinosaur but yeah uh you know i just i'm I, I don't know what the last time i've read a newspaper was right you know i just i get you know i have my news sources 
um, that I get from my phone, yeah. and that's how I that's how I get the news. Exactly. And so I think a lot of people are like that. So that, yeah, we that want whole, a quick glance, right? Like we're not going to sit down and you know I used to love reading the newspaper when I had sight. But no, now that I don't, it's just a quick glance at my news app, see the headlines, the local news, yeah. and away I go. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that service is. But okay, tell. Uh, so they also announced a streaming service, um, which to me was really lackluster. Um, Sesame Street characters, a couple of them showed up. But they're going to have a show called Helpsters, um, again for kids. Oprah was the, the final guest, and Oprah is having a, an Oprah-style show where she talks to changemakers around the world. Um, of course, their own um, original content. They have a movie that's being filmed here called C that um, is original content that is going to be uh, released on their own service later this fall. Um, as well as, I think, the one thing that was really kind of exciting, probably for more people in the U.S. than us here in Canada, is that they're having something called channels. So instead of having a Hulu app and a CBS Now app and a this app and a that app, it all gets amalgamated into your channels. So let's just say you want to look for, or you know, and it remembers the shows you like. So let's say you like, you know... Um, I don't know, keeping up with the Kardashians. It just finds that from all the services, the Amazon Prime, whatever services are out there, it finds that and you add that to your favorites or to yeah, your but, channel. But, uh, did, so you don't need apps anymore. Does this not strike you as a, as a little, as, as kind of funny? It's like they've discovered TV again. It's like we've gone well, all the way full it. around. It's like, hey, we discovered this new thing called channels. I was like, uh -huh. oh, wow. Yep. Thanks. But it's going to, you know, and... and it, it went deeper than no. Than I know. I, I get it. it right? I get it. I'm I'm being a bit flippant. But, but you know, you can have the Apple TV app coming to your smart TV as well. So the TV app will be on your device, whether it's your Apple TV or your smart TV, and you will have your channels, right? So you don't have to get into the Amazon Instant Video app. You don't have to get into the Roku app. You don't have to get into the CBS app. Your shows just show up. It was it was really slick. But again, a lot of this content is stuff I think that we don't have access to yet. We don't have access to all these subscription services like CBS Now. Um, you know, our content is still limited on Amazon Instant Video. Hulu we don't have in Canada yet. Mm -hmm. So I, I think once they launch it later this fall, it'll be interesting to see how people accept it. They also didn't announce the pricing yet. Well, now, okay, but so as somebody... Who because because you have an Apple TV, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so you're the demographic that this should should interest. Are, are you excited about this? Is this really just for people who have already bought into sort of Apple TV? Um, I like the aspect of not having to skip around to individual apps all the time. You know, like I've got a CBC app. I've got the Amazon Instant Video app. I've got the Netflix app. I've got all these apps on my Apple TV. Uh-huh. I could just go into the TV app, you know, look for the show that I want and add that show, right? I don't, I don't have to go into the Amazon Instant Video app and then find the show, find out it's not there. Okay, so what app has this show or what source can I get this from? The Apple TV app will do all that for you. Right. So it's really going to streamline the service. But again, I think time will tell as to 
how efficiently it actually works and the, you know the amount of content that you know we're going to have now to bring this conversation back around to accessibility though uh how accessible is the apple tv very so that it has that going for it so this potentially could be a, a really and again you're not necessarily going to have to have an apple tv you know the apple the, the apple tv tv app is coming to smart tvs oh, okay so when you buy your smart tv you can just install the TV app instead of the Amazon app, the Roku app, the Hulu app. I see. And do everything from within that app. So I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see what the price point's going to be hmm. and the services that are available at launch. Um, hmm. So right. we'll see. All right. And what else did they... Well, Apple has now offer is now offering a titanium credit card. They what? yeah they have their own financial what? not their own financial service they are working with Goldman Sachs in the U.S. and part of their as part of their Apple Pay as you use your Apple Pay credit card you get money back what? so the card has no fees has no expiry date has no CVV number on it has no credit card number on it it works as part of your Apple Pay and I th- I forget what the amounts are but I think. If you're buying something from the Apple Store, you get 3% back. If you're buying something from, you know, iTunes, I think you get 1% cash back. It's instant cash back. I highly recommend people going and watching the event because it got a lot more detailed than how I'm explaining mm. that it works. You know, again, for people in the who are Apple fanboys in the Apple ecosystem, this may be great. For me here in Canada, not something I'm interested in. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. I don't Again, know. it's I, just another service that they're offering. They're, Apple is recognizing they're not making money on hardware anymore. They have to do more services. That's well, where the money is. You bring your yeah. That's a, it's a really good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, you're you're probably you know, they've very got a right. billion iOS devices out there already. That market's saturated. Yeah, and people aren't buying aren't, aren't buying a new iPhone every year anymore. No. Like that's those days are just gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, services are. Yeah, you're are probably where, right. You're where, probably right. Yep. Huh. Interesting. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Nothing really exciting. It really wasn't. Wise, but there was, know, there was nothing that I saw. Well, and a new gaming service as but, well. You know, I was thinking but. about this on the way over and I was like, I don't know. Are we giving Apple like just a bad time for no reason? Because I mean, these guys were so ahead of everybody else in terms of accessibility. They were ahead. But well, they were I, ahead. I don't know. Maybe, you know, is there what else can they do? Well, that's just it, and that's why they're launching services, more and more services, because they, I can't say they've done all they can with regards to accessibility. Apple is still probably the most secure platform. They don't share, while they say they don't share any of your information, you know, the stuff stays on your device. Um, But if you look at Android, from what I'm hearing on the new Android Pixels, uh-huh. The gestures are becoming more iOS-like. Okay. So, you know, I think Android is taking a page from iOS because look what iOS has done. The market gravitated to iOS. Yeah. And, you know, th- there's going to be a, a more closer merging of the technologies or the way they interact that it's not going to matter what device you're on. You know, we're, and we're getting to that point now where you jump into this one service or one subscription, it's available on all your, all your devices, right? Well, you know, I think maybe what, what's happening, and the big difference between Google and Apple 
has been historically is that Google's far, you know, Google will just throw anything at the wall and mm-hmm. see what sticks. They'll just develop anything. And so they're working on so much stuff. Whereas Apple has been, you know, pretty focused um, on hardware, um, you know, new phones, uh, accessibility in the past. Yep. And so, and like you said, I think now that, that sales are reflecting that hardware isn't where they're, their bread is buttered anymore. I, I think you're right. They have to sort of take more of Google's approach and just, you know, saying, we just got to try some different stuff. Let's, mm-hmm. let's try a bunch of stuff. And if mm-hmm. some of it doesn't work, whatever, but you know, if something sticks great. Um, so maybe that's what we're seeing in the beginning of that. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think so. And it's not bad. You know, Apple is the most wealthy company in the world now, the most valuable company in the world. So they've got deep enough pockets that they can, you know, th- try some stuff finally, you know, not just keep stuff in the labs and you know, oh throw it out there and see what works. Oh my God. You, you, you're so funny. Well, I, I, okay. I challenge all our listeners go back about, I don't know, 25 episodes <laughs> and, <laughs> and listen to Ryan talk about Apple then before he, he, he got an iPhone again uh-huh. and listen to him now. Very different. That's all I'm saying. Maybe that episode, but I've had Mr. Like, Mr. I, I've Apple had two now. Apple TV. No, I've had a, I've had two uh-huh. Apple TVs in my house for like over five six years. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I I use them quite regularly. That's what I use for Netflix, uh-huh. Amazon Instant Video. I'm just saying. Listen, I don't blame I've got a you. Google I'm Home, not, I've got I, Amazon Echo. I'm not. In, I'm uh, not invested into any ecosystem. Uh, I know. I'm I, listen, I'm not. <laughs> I just you're getting a little defensive. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hear that, Allie? I'm on your side. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, I hear you say the word Apple and all these glowing, to very be, positive adjectives. To be and, really honest, though, going back to an iPhone yeah. is so much nicer oh, here we go. than the problems I have with my Android device. That's all I'm going to say. Plug your ears, Google. <laughs> Plug your ears. You've lost them. You've lost them. Yep. Now, For now. All, look, as long as they keep making these platforms accessible and keep improving. Exactly. Uh, who we have choice. Them, uh, it's all good. Yep. Uh, Apple. I love love Apple. Love Google. Just keep developing cool stuff. Keep keep you know doing what you're doing in terms of accessibility you could do it a little faster if you wanted like let's get lookout going people but uh you know it's all good we can all we can all get along especially these days we don't need to fight in term in, in the in the tech sector we got enough fighting going on politically yep so uh we got enough problems hey steve why don't you tell the fine folks about canadian assistive technology well, Canadian Assistive Technology is a Canadian-based distributor of, guess what, assistive technology. I would not have guessed that. Uh, really? Oh, i got to work something better into the name then. <laughs> um, and uh, we do uh, all kinds of low vision and blindness aids, as well as all kinds of physical access aids and uh, accessible furniture, you name it. Visit our website at www.canastech.com. Rick, let me ask you about this. Chaos Technical Services. Chaos Technical Services. 
Don't sound so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Speaking of repairs, we are the sister company to Canas Tech. Um, we do the repairs on uh, low vision devices, uh, uh, reading machines. Uh, for libraries, braille printers, and pretty well anything in between. We can be found at uh, www.chaostechnicalservices.com. Joining us now is Nancy Thorogood, a research associate at the Rick Hansen Institute. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So why don't we start out with uh, telling us a little bit of, about the foundation itself and what kind of work you guys are, are currently doing there. So it, um, the Institute is also a legacy of the Rick Hansen Man in Motion Tour. It was officially formed in 2009 um, from investment from the federal government of Canada as well as from the Rick Hansen Foundation. So today we say that RHI focuses on, um, or sorry, the Institute, we call it RHI for Rick Hansen Institute, that we focus on spinal cord injury research, innovation, and care, while the foundation focuses more on accessibility and inclusion for people of all disabilities. Right. So we have separate governance. We each have our own CEO as well as board of directors. We're a not-for-profit organization, and we really try and drive this innovation in research and care with spinal cord injury. Um, we're located at the Blessin Spinal Cord Center in Vancouver at the Vancouver General Hospital campus. Okay. Um, it's kind of a unique building if you haven't been here. Um, if you're around VGH, I would highly um, suggest to check it out. Um, we have a here within the building, there's an outpatient spine clinic with Vancouver Coastal Health, so seeing patients there. As well, there's a bunch of UBC research labs um, taking up a couple floors. Um, there's an accessible gym as well as an accessible woodworking shop. Um, and we have a great kind of entry auditorium with a um, wheelchair ramp that goes around the entirety of the building up to the third floor. Wow. So it's kind of cool if you haven't seen it yet. A lot of people do workouts in their wheelchairs up the ramps. Um, kids that come to visit love to run up the ramp. So. <laughs> or race down the <laughs> ramp. <laughs> but yeah, spinal cord injury in general is defined as any damage to the spinal cord that causes changes in its normal function. So the spinal cord is an extension of the nervous system that goes down from the brain down your back and it's covered and protected by the what we commonly refer to as the spine or the bony portion of this of the spine the vertebrae protecting that spinal cord um, so injury usually re results in loss of motor or muscle function loss of sensation um, below the level of injury so people commonly refer to as paralysis numbness or weakness and there's a lot of secondary complications associated with a spinal cord injury, like muscle atrophy, pressure ulcers, infection. Depending on where within the level of the spinal cord injury, right. you can get respiratory complications and, and things like that, which I think people commonly associate with. Um, yeah, and like I said, injury can be at any level of the spine, from the cervical to the thoracic to the lumbar. And depending on where the injury occurs, um, there's varying outcomes. So it's not just right. one, right. say, disease or injury. There's a variety of injuries and and there's a whole complicated way of um, looking at it and defining it and, and grouping certain injuries together. 
Right, because I mean, there there are injuries that, or I mean, the different injuries can result in in different outcomes. So you could you could have a, a spinal cord injury, and the result could be maybe something like you know ongoing chronic pain as opposed to mm-hmm. out and out paralysis. Am I correct? Yes, definitely. So there is a common international standard for classification. It's called the Insky, and they. Um, yeah, so a lot of people refer to themselves by their level of injury. So they'll say they're cervical or thoracic or lumbar. And then they'll say they're um, Asia or AIS. is commonly said that they're A, B, C, or D. So A going from a complete injury with loss of function below the level, and B, C, and D are varying levels of function below the injury. Right. So yeah, definitely you can get somebody with a spinal cord injury that's, that's walking, and you would never know. Visually, you'd never know, but they may have problems with their bladder, bladder or bowel or or maybe even just within their foot right. um, versus somebody who's in a wheelchair who can has use of their arms and can actually wheel themselves versus somebody that's in a motorized chair or even somebody on a ventilator. Now, does that make it challenging for the Institute, like in the sense that, you know, there's there's sort of a, an education portion of, of the work that you do, trying to make people understand all, all the different gradients? Yeah, definitely. And um, we don't do a whole lot of community education, per se. Um, we do fund some work um within that but we do have this like i mentioned the international standard so it's the international standard for neurological classification of spinal cord injury um so we commonly use that mostly for research purposes as well as people would use it in clinical care but we use it to group certain um, injuries together and then we look at those specific injuries for certain outcomes that are that are directed to those injuries. So we do our own in-house research. We have a research team, and I'm a research associate within that team. We're small but mighty, <laughs> about 15 of us, um, with our director, and and um, and we have three research associates that all have our PhDs in differing fields, and then we also have a research coordinator, a senior biostatistician, and lots of stats people to help us out, as well as data management, because we do collect a lot of data nationally. Right. Um, So yeah, one of our projects, um, just talking about education, um, that we fund, um, and there's a lot more funders going into this, including the Institute, um, as well as um, ICORD, the International Collabor- Collaboration on um, Repair Discoveries, ONF, the Ontario Neurotrauma F- Foundation, as well as Vancouver Coastal Health fund the SCIRE project. It's called SCIRE, which stands for Spinal Cord Injury Research Evidence. Okay. And there's a great website, so I'll send you the link definitely to put that up. Um, yeah, for sure. And there's a professional side for clinicians to look for the most up-to-date evidence-based um, care that's going on. And so it's a great resource for clinicians as well. Um, they've also launched a consumer portion. So that's a go-to resource um, for consumers that uh, we we totally advocate for going there to, to find all the up-to-date research as well as care that's going on in the field. So when you say that um, you sort of 
you, you're collecting a lot of data. In general, where do you get that data from? Yeah, so there's lots of different sources. Um, so here at the Institute, uh, we focus on translational research and best practice implementation. So along kind of the research pathway, um, just to give you a, a simplified overview, going from basic research to in a, that's kind of an idea in the lab or a lot of people refer to it as um, discovery research, so academic research. And then and then moving that into clinical research, which is done in humans, like pilot studies first in human and extending that to big, broad clinical trials, say, uh, and then going from there and implementing that into medical practice. Um, so you can do that with a technology um, or say a pharmaceutical or something like that. Um, so we, we focus on this translation of these ideas into, into clinical practice. So how we collect data, let's say um, uh, one of our projects is the Rick Hansen Spinal Cord Injury Registry. Um, so this is a Canadian-wide registry of individuals who have sustained a traumatic spinal cord injury. Right. Um, so we use data collection forms to gather information and track the care of individuals with traumatic spinal cord injury during their journey from acute to rehab and then into the community. So there's 31 sites across Canada in 15 cities, and we capture over 600 new individuals per year. Um, currently, there's over 7,000 participants in the registry, just to give you an idea. Wow. So that's... That's a big research project going on and continuing. Um, and we are the national, we house the data here uh, at RHI, at our, at our center here. Are there other organizations that are similar to the Rick Hansen Institute that, that also are doing what you're doing? Or are you guys it? Um, I would say nationally, we're it. There's a lot of different uh, provincial organizations that are doing great work, and, and we collaborate with them, definitely. Um, I think our uniqueness is in our network, um, that we're even beyond national, we're, we're also international, um, as well as where we fit within that research continuum. Um, there's a lot... I wouldn't say, I mean, maybe some researchers would disagree with me, but there's you know, a federal government funding going into a lot of that basic research and academic research that we think of. And then we're really trying to bridge the gap to fund those great ideas that can make that leap into clinical research. So I think um, as well as that implementation into medical practice to make things actually care standards, um, so I would say our uniqueness would be, yeah, where we fit within that research cycle, as well as our national and international network. So there, there really seems to be kind of like three different phases to an average spinal cord injury, which would be the sort of the, the initial accident, the rehabilitation, mm -hmm. and then transitioning into, say, the community. Mm -hmm. Of those three phases, are, are you guys sort of centered on research into um, all of those phases or just particular ones? No, we have research in, in every single part of that. We call that the care continuum. Um, so looking at the 
acute phase and even how people are getting to those acute facilities. So the triaging and, okay. and what happens before. Um, timing is a big thing of when people are getting to specialized centers, um, as well as definitely within um, that acute care in the hospital, say the first 30 days or a month, and then in the rehab. So we're collecting data both at acute centers as well as rehab centers, and then into the community, which is in fact, um, you know, it's it's the biggest part of somebody's journey yeah. um, who suffers a spinal cord injury is then living in the community. And, and I would argue there's probably less research looking at what's going on in the community. So, you know, when you put it like that too, there must be a, a a huge number of data points that you guys look at, um, you know, far beyond just, okay, well, how many people have had spinal cord injuries and, you know, and, and cause you know, if you're, if you're also looking at things like, well, how long did it take the person to get to the hospital? You know, what, what was the triage like? Um, what was their rehabilitation like? Like, is, is there like a, a lot to unpack there? Yes, definitely. Um, we do, um, obviously, for a lot of the data, we have to consent patients, too, to collect. It's a lot of personal information. We also collect some socioeconomic information as well, um, as well as what interventions are going on, what types of surgeries, complications as well, what happens after um, as a result of the injury or maybe not as a result of the injury at times. So there is a lot of data and definitely a lot to unpack. Um, so each site owns their own data. They're their own data stewards. So our network um, can look into what they want as well within their own data. So you'll have somebody in Toronto or Ottawa um, having an interesting question that they want to look at within their data, as well as here, say at Vancouver, I've been involved with um, um, some spine surgeons here that want to look at their complication levels or their complication stats, say, right. and we can, we can help assist them with that as well as right now to looking at some risk assessment for mortality, say, particularly in the older population. Um, because surgeons and care providers don't really have that evidence to say what is always going to happen. It's not a direct trajectory for somebody. Right. So to have some data to back up some of those conversations, um, we do some work around that. So, but you're right, there is a lot of data and a lot to make sense of. We, we do try and re um, produce an annual report on the registry. Right. And that gives a lot of high overview stats. Um, I can give you some if you like. Just on right now, I have the current one here from sure. 2017. So what it looks like. So our average age within our registry is 51.2 years old. And that's definitely increasing as, as time goes on with our aging population in Canada. 76% um, of the participants were male and 24% were female. Um, so just a little word to that is that um, in the past, we've only presented or we were only collecting data on traumatic spinal cord injury. Um, so traumatic and non-traumatic are, are two terms that we use quite frequently in spinal cord injury. And, and that's really related to the cause of the injury. Right. So I think in the general public, what people most commonly think of like Rick Hansen's injury, 
a traumatic event, an external force right. causing an injury, like from a car accident or fall. Um, but there's also non-traumatic, which you can look at as internal forces, perhaps causing the injury, such as cancer, infection, spinal de- degeneration on that spinal cord, the columns causing pinching on the cord. Right. Um, so this year with our new, we have a new data set that we're collecting and it's just starting to roll out next month and we're going to be collecting some non-traumatic data. We're just starting at the rehab site. So we're really excited about that. Um, there's a pilot done in Alberta collecting some non-traumatic data and we really um, were obviously missing a, a huge chunk of the population of those that are that have spinal cord injury. Um, it's just been easiest, I would say, in the past to collect data on individuals suffering from a traumatic spinal cord injury because a lot of times their admission is similar. They come in through eMERGE. Right. They're in an acute care facility. Whereas for this non-traumatic, you could be, you know, you're the main thing, the main thing is oncology for some people. So that's their entry into the healthcare system. And do you collect data at the oncology units? Like that's another, that's a huge can of worms, right? To open to see yeah. where else to collect data. So we're just going to start um, in rehab um, to see um, what kind of data we can collect in rehab from people going there. And we already have those sites collecting data for the traumatic, so it it's it's a good fit for the moment. Yeah, because I mean there are there are plenty of degenerative uh, spinal diseases out there as well. So that's yeah, that's, that, a so lot that's the number data. one cause of non-traumatic from from what's been published is the degenerative. And once again, with the aging population within Canada and a lot of countries. Um, yeah, and also kind of going along with that aging topic is that um, a motor vehicle accidents used to be our number one cause of traumatic, and we're actually seeing falls now eclipsing um, transport-related injuries. Um, so just in our data last year from the registry, uh, 49% of all our traumatic injuries were caused from falls. Wow. So it's pretty big, and then transports twenty six percent. Yeah, I think I have some numbers to do with aging too in those populations. So um, the average age for people who experienced a fall is sixty one years old. Um, the average age for people who experienced traumatic spinal cord injury from uh, motor vehicle accidents is forty five. Wow. From sports, the average age is forty, and assault, the average age is thirty three. Wow, you know it's interesting, and again, this goes completely off topic, but but I yep. mean, it just makes you <laughs> okay. wonder. It makes you wonder. Um, you know, that's that's a, a large percentage of people who are who are in you know motor vehicle related accidents that have spinal cord injuries. So you got to wonder that, you know, damn, if we ever get to a, a place where we actually do have driverless cars, <laughs> um, you know, maybe maybe we can improve that number that way. Well, hopefully our insurance premiums will go down. <laughs> <laughs> Not likely. <laughs> um, so what about, and now is there research being, being put into um, rehab? Oh, yes, definitely. So, um, so part of, so part of our program, um, we commonly call them cure and, and care activities, um, so rehab obviously falls under both, 
but yes, within our, our cure program, one of our priorities is um, our restorative rehab technologies and, and ways to focus on um, restoring some function below the level of injury. Um, so we here, also within our research team, we have clinicians and we have a national clinical liaison and and she goes out and does some training as well for the registry and for that um, for that neurological classification to train people how to do the classification. Um, so right now, one exciting project I'm working on um, is related to activity-based therapy. Okay. Um, so just to give you a brief definition, it's referring to any intervention that's targeting the activation of the neuromuscular system below the level of injury and the goal is to retrain the nervous system to recover. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So rehab strategies a lot focus on intensity, um, how often and how much you have to do that therapy. And with um, activity-based therapy, it's, it's very frequently and very often. And the idea that um, we might not be getting to that intensity and frequency within our, our rehab system here in Canada. Um, so trying to find ways to use activity-based therapy in combination with technologies such as functional electrical stimulation. Um, it's shown to be effective, but once again, it, it's definitely underutilized in the spinal cord injury population. So we have a bit of money to spend in this field, and, and we held a a national summit. We called it the Activity-Based Therapy Summit. It was a couple of weeks ago in Toronto. We brought together almost 40 people, so clinicians, physical therapists, occupational therapists, nurses, um, researchers in rehab, as well as technologies and consumers. And we're trying to devise a roadmap um, for some short goals for one to two and three to five years, and then longer term goals of, of five years plus within the field. So we really asked questions and did small groups about um, what people think are ready and appropriate to implement in either acute rehab or in the community. And also trying to look at what actually is going on. So we're doing an environmental scan and a survey of our rehab facilities within our network to see what types of technology and equipment they're using and how they're um, dosing it or how often and frequently a patient would actually be, be using those, um, yeah, those technologies and, and what they have. So we're busy right now compiling and analyzing all the information that was shared during that um, summit um, to get some working groups going and devise this roadmap. And then that will inform our future funding allocation um, in the field. So we're really excited about that to, to get into the activity-based therapy area. And and so the activity based therapy it, it's it's a fairly new idea. The main point is the is the repetitions and how much people are doing. So say for one specific activity, maybe um, reaching to pick something up. Right. Um, how often are people doing that within their therapy sessions? And and some evidence is showing that that has to be done way more, like hundreds and thousands of times. Um, to be able to ha show benefit, right. um, as well as getting people up and moving, say on the um, body weight assisted treadmills, or there's the new exoskeletons, yes, um, which are which are the robotic, right, the external skeleton that can help people move. 
Um, so those have been coming in mostly in a research capacity. Um, we aren't currently funding anything with an exoskeleton right now, but I think there's some work going on in the UBC research labs downstairs here. So can we come in and try one? <laughs> yeah. yeah sure. You should look on, on yeah, to see if they're recruiting. <laughs> no, but that, that, that is interesting. And, and I, have, I, ha I have read some of that, um, and it's fascinating because not only could that help um, with, with rehabilitation, um, they say that it could also help with in terms of injury themselves. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they're talking about like, you know, so people who are, who are doing a lot of say lifting or, or at, at work, bending, lifting, all that stuff, using, using these exoskeletons to actually do the yeah. labor is going to, is going to take the load off, um, the spine and actually maybe hopefully prevents, um, the, um, you know, some degenerative, uh, conditions from actually happening. Injuries. Yeah. And I think the technology was coming from which isn't uncommon from um, a military. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, for soldiers um, actually in battle carrying a huge amount of equipment and, and that kind of thing. Also in spinal cord injury, people would refer to an injury as a, you know, acute phase or, or chronic phase. Right. Um, and I think a lot of the um, hot topics sometimes that get into the media or stem cells and things like that in the, and a lot of that would be occurring in the acute phase, something that a surgeon can give a treatment during surgery or, or specifically to the spinal cord. And then, but like I said, a lot of the population, you know, they're living in the community with the, the chronic phase. So people are looking um, at other things that can help in the chronic phase. So we do definitely have things going on in both. Um, in the chronic phase as well, we're also looking at spinal stimulation, which has been a hot topic. It's made the news a lot in the last couple of years. I don't know if you guys have seen. Um, so basically applying an electrical or, or magnetic energy to stimulate the spinal cord. Right. So what's made the circuits from, I've seen it on CNN, and we see it in a lot of our, our big science um, journals, um, getting somebody to walk again. Really? I think that's what usually wow. makes the news, um, taking some steps or retraining gait. Um, so researchers have been looking at invasive, there's invasive methods where you'd actually stimulate, apply the stimulation to the spinal cord. So it would be an implant. Right. And also looking at more non-invasive where the electrodes would be placed over the skin and still st stimulate the spinal cord. Um, so yeah, there's been work out of a bunch of different groups. I'd say there's five, five probably big groups internationally, and they've shown some people um, starting to walk and improve improve their walking and their gait. Um, but there are now studies looking at other potential benefits because I think that's probably the one that makes the news real. Obviously, is right. getting somebody up right. and walking again. Um, but what else is going on sometimes with those studies is what scientists like to look at as well. So improvements in other other things that have been important for people with spinal cord injury, like um, cardiovascular improvement, as well as potential for improvement of um, reducing spasticity, bladder and bowel and sexual health benefits that can come along with that. So um, I personally think that's going to be the next thing 
that we're, we're going to be looking at or we should be looking at, say, with some of those stimulators. Right. Um, so we're starting to undertake a project. Um, um, we want to – we're using um, a survey to look at what people within the community, their thoughts on this technology and where they'd like to see that go in the future because I'd say the research has mostly been um, scientist-driven up until this point. And um, we'd like to see how this compares to what people are thinking in the community, which would also allow us to make a more informed um, decision on where to allocate some of our future resource dollars. So what is the best space for the Rick Hansen Institute to make an impact within this field? Um, so we're going to be having a, a survey uh, go through. We're hoping we've applied for a partnership with um, NASCIC, which is the North American Spinal Cord Injury Consortium. And they have a, a great network um, of people that they can reach out to. So it's our first time having applied for a par partnership with them. So we're really excited and we hope we can co-create this, this survey and, and get some answers from the community to see what's important um, for people in that chronic phase. And how big is your team? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you guys have your work I know, cut we're out about for 50. you. <laughs> um, we are busy. We also grant fund, right? So a lot of our funding cycle, um, so this is my third funding cycle. Uh, personally here at the Institute, I started in 2011. Um, and our biggest funder is the, the federal government. And we, last year this time was a big announcement um, in the budget that we were, had our funding extended. So now we're funded for four years this next um, term and we're just starting. So that's why I'm talking about all these planning and right, getting right. consensus and how we should actually spend some of this money that we have. Um, and we're trying to do a good job of it so we, um, so we can hit some key topics and, and, and some key fields right now. But we do de definitely um, grant fund some projects for sure. Um, we have one coming up. We're hoping um, to have the launch of this challenge in um, in the spring to early summer of this year. Um, so we're, once again, RHI, we're very into partnerships. And because we aren't that big here <laughs> um, within our research team to um, to see where we can expand. Uh, so we're partnering with an organization called Mars in Toronto, um, and they're a Canadian innovation hub. Right. Um, so they work with entrepreneurs and investors to launch and grow companies. Um, yeah, this might fit in with your interest with the assistive devices yeah. um, and technologies. Yeah, so they do provide resources and entrepreneur education, um, hands-on mentorship, and as well as access to um, things that people might be missing, right. um, as, including capital. Um, so what we're going to do with them is launch kind of, um, we used to call them like open competitions for grants, say in academia. Right. Um, we have a problem we want solved and we have X number of dollars and we want people to apply. It's kind of like a request for proposals. Right. So we're going to run this through Mars this time and see if we can cast a brighter, a broader net. So the, the focus for this will be solutions to quantify and measure interventions for spinal cord injury. Um, it doesn't have to be just focused on spinal cord injury, but that definitely has to be in there. <laughs> um, 
so, you know, it could be a, a, an invention that's also could be used for anybody in a wheelchair, right? Not just for spinal cord injury. Um, so looking at things to quantify maybe something, I don't know, like we usually throw around the idea of, you know, a Fitbit, a Fitbit that can give you intensity for somebody in a chair. Right. Um, and, and things like that. So we're, we're definitely hoping to get a wider net through our partnership with Mars um, to get people that are not only within the SCI community, but, but other communities that we can, that we can pull in and have a successful challenge and, and get a product going. Do you guys work a lot internationally? Like, is there a sort of a tight knit community between different organizations internationally? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is a small community and, and everybody does know each other. Our CEO does a great job with partnerships and as well as our, our um our team that runs a registry so um so like i said we're a small research department here but um overall the institute has 50 employees um so the registry that i mentioned earlier that's in canada we've also used that platform for other countries so new zealand now has theirs up and running um we have a project going on with china to collect some data at, at one hospital there and as well as in israel we also have a partnership with Hebrew University right now, right. and um, that was exciting. They were um, academic and entrepreneurs there meeting. Um, so first they were trying to identify unmet clinical needs with teams within spinal cord injury um, around some clinical questions that our clinical team provided. And then they came up with some research ideas to support these to bring certain things to market. So what they came up with was called an eye cough, which is an assisted device for coughing, mm -hmm. and as well as a, a U-free, is what they're calling it, a specialized catheter. Um, so I think they're in the prototyping stages for those and, and trying to get those up and going. And we also have an upcoming partnership with um, UBC has a new School of Biomedical Engineering, so we're trying to get something locally going on to some sort of challenge and the same idea, right. getting some clinical needs um, addressed. I think bringing in different people, right, definitely helps um, with innovation and just thinking outside the box. And yeah. yeah, definitely with the assistive technologies, like developing something for maybe an unintended use and it's worked out brilliantly. We love it when that happens. It's, it's yeah. so great when somebody makes something mainstream and it turns out that it's, you know, an amazing piece of assistive technology. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we look at that too from spinal cord injury from the pharmaceutical perspective too, because, um, spinal cord injury, I mean, luckily it, it isn't, um, such a huge field that there's not real compared to some other disastrous effects. There's not, um, as many people injured with spinal cord injury in Canada. So it works against us sometimes for funding. Right, um, sure. And that, say, a pharmaceutical company isn't going to look at spinal cord injury over stroke or something. Is there anything else that's sort of going on that's new and exciting for the team right now? Um, so uh, my specific projects are with Cure, but then there's a lot going on in care as well. Um, we're trying to come up with a, a national spinal cord injury strategy. 
as well as looking at um, what's out there for guidelines for people for care for caring for people with spinal cord injury um, as well as uh, getting sites accredited um, as a specialized center for spinal cord injury so um, the Recanson Institute's been very active with that along with Accreditation Canada um, to get our sites accredited. Um, so having specific standards that you have to meet um, to get accredited. So that's been going on under care. Um, I mentioned the spinal stimulation. We're also um, on the verge of funding um, a continuation project on biomarkers and cerebral spinal fluid pressure management. We're funding a particular investigator, uh, Dr. Brian Kwan. So he is located in Vancouver. Um, he has his own lab within UBC, but he's also a spine surgeon with the spine team here. So he's done past projects looking at um, spinal perfusion pressure. So the pressure that's going on in the spine. So th this one, this is an actual acute um, project. So this would be somebody under the acute phase of care here at, at VGH. Um, so they're collecting um, spinal cord fluid from from individuals that have been injured, and they're looking at certain biochemicals and their concentrations to see if they can be mapped um, to better characterize injury um, compared to those standards that I was talking about before, the, the neurological standards, right. the classification, because you can't always... Um, you can't always complete that assessment because somebody has to be uh, conscious to have a full, to have the full analysis done. Um, so that's a problem, obviously, sometimes with multi-trauma coming in to emergency. So if there could be another way, like collecting a blood sample or they've started with the, the spinal cord fluid, if you could collect that and have some sort of biochemical signature for a certain type of, of injury. You did talk about, you know, electrical stimulation. What is the research yep. being done on stem cells? You know, that's been in the news for 10, 15 years now. And we touched on it just briefly, but is there, yeah. is there a lot of work being done? Is there hope for stem cells? Um, so in general, we're not funding. We don't have the money to fund big multi-center international clinical trials. Um we have our stem cell stance on our website, which should actually be updated. But yeah, we're not funding any stem cell trials. Um, there's the big one in the U.S. that um, I think they had enrolled four people, and then it, it ended up getting shut down because of money. Mm. Um, so there there is some stuff going on in Europe, I believe, right now, as well as obviously the um, um, kind of the international tourism for stem cells, um, which we don't recommend to anybody, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and we have our stance on that, as well as um, I think i has a really great resource on that on their website, the International Collaboration on Repair Discoveries, so about people traveling to different parts of the world um, to receive injection of stem cells, um, which can be dangerous, obviously. Sure. Um, because I don't think there's enough evidence there yet. There hasn't been a successful trial yet to prove that that's our way forward for care. I'm not saying that it's not going to be. Mm -hmm. um, 
my PhD and my basic research background is actually dealing with stem cells and gene regulation. So um, not with respect to spinal cord injury, but yeah, I'm well aware of of that. But um, yeah, so there are there, there likely, I think, are still some trials going on right now. Um, there's also a lot of basic research. So we have funded some lab research with respect to stem cells, um, some work going on in Toronto. Um, but yeah, nothing right now that we are actively pursuing um, with our institute. And is that just because of money or you just don't see it having immediate results? You, you're getting better results through the electrical stimulation and, and other methods? Yeah, I think both. Um, it's a bit of both and in, in the money that we have to put forward. Where is it going to make the biggest impact? Right. Sure. Um, definitely right now is not for stem cells and even, um, pharmaceutical, like these big companies can't even hold these trials right now. So for us, we're just a little small drop in the pile for that. Okay. But yep. Yeah, so for our care, we're looking more at, uh, the neurorestorative, um, rehab that can be done. Right. Yeah. Well, that's where education really becomes so important because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's tough when, you know, the media will pick up on, you know, a few key buzzwords and, yes. and throw them out there. And so everyone just assumes like, oh, okay, well, stem cells, this is what they're going to do. They're just going to plug stem cells in and, and it's going to cure everything, cure everything. And that's, that's definitely not the case. Um, I know. So it, does that ever get frustrating? <laughs> you know, somebody who's, you know, you're, you're neck deep in the field, uh, <laughs> To field questions from dummies like Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm a, I'm a lay person who has no knowledge in this field, so that's why I'm asking. <laughs> I know. I, I totally get it. And even from a from my perspective, too, if even if I was thinking of or I had a family member, it would be like, where are they even getting those stem cells from? Yeah. Um, you know, stem cell research is different in different parts of the world yeah. because mm. of certain policies. Um. And, and Canada has some strict policies, particularly about where you're sourcing stem cells from and where those are coming from. Um, yeah, and that's important to me as a research, researcher and, and ethically for patients. I mean, stem cells are exciting. I remember you know, I started my PhD in O2 when... Uh, when the human genome got sequenced right? and, and yeah, there's so, it was an exciting time and so much promise, but you know, it really does take time. So, it, um, we, we always use the, the stats that 14% of health related scientific discoveries enter into medical practice and that it takes an average of 17 years for them to do that. Wow. So that's pretty shocking when <laughs> that's what our scientific literature is telling us. So, oh um, gosh. So yeah, if we can help uh, within the spinal cord injury field, make some of those, um, say the low hanging fruit come to fruition a little bit quicker, then mm-hmm. then that would be great. But yeah, I think for some of those big, huge things that might be big wins like stem cells, it's going to take more time. Sure. Definitely. And I know a lot of people don't have time or, um, or people are anxious and because they have been hearing all this stuff in the media for, for a long time now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll see where that goes. I think definitely in the field, um, for blindness, right. And, mm-hmm. and diabetes. And, yeah. and I think that's, that kind of research is a little further along. Right. 
I would say, than, than stem cells for spinal cord injury right now. But um, that's not my field of expertise and, and mm-hmm. neither for the Institute either. So, you know, but I it's think, cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I guess the big takeaway here is just that, you know, there, there, are, there is so much to, to this field. Um, and it oh, is yeah. so, so complicated, so much data to, to examine and to collect. Mm-hmm. And there's so many places where you could put your energies, you know, do you put your energies into prevention? Mm-hmm. Do you put your energies into rehab? Do you put your energies into, um, you know, assistive technology? Um, to mm-hmm. help, to, to help, you know, in the chronic phase, you know, there, there's so many places for 50 people to work on. You really do. You, you have to pick your battles, I'm assuming. Yeah. And I'm thinking too, just from what I've witnessed too, over the years being here at the Institute is that definitely our funding, we started so broad and we had working groups in all different areas and, and gradually, um, I think in any research field that, the money is getting tighter mm-hmm. um, and there's more competition on that money and what to do with it. And I think us as an institute now, we are definitely way more focused than what we were 12 years ago. And we're definitely going to the community and, and having conversations and, and doing, um, you know, stakeholder meetings to see um, what we should focus on. And once again, with the focus being impact, so, I mean, we didn't even touch on the secondary complications, which is a, a big part of spinal cord injury care um, going in the community, right? Like pressure ulcers, which impacts more than just spinal cord injury. Right. Um, so we have work going on on that and and uh, urinary tract infections and respiratory problems and pain, like you mentioned before, too. Pain is such a big issue. Right. Um, yes. For yeah, a pain. lot of people in a lot of conditions. Well, we'll just have to have you back. <laughs> yeah, what are you wasting your time talking to us? You've, you've worked to you've, you've, you've worked to do. I know. It's March break, too. Jeez. <laughs> well, listen, we want to thank you so much for taking some time out and, and talking to us. Um, it, it is really eye-opening to, to really get a, 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 bit of a, a bit of an overview of the work that you guys are, are doing. Um, is there uh, where can people f- find more information ab- about um, the institute and what you guys are doing? And is there anything that anything any programs or anything that you want to plug that people can maybe uh, inquire into? Yeah, well, definitely. I'll send you a list of links because I noticed on your website that you put links under the podcast. So yeah, definitely our institute's website as well as the the Skyer website, the Spinal Cord Injury Research Evidence website. You can put that up. And then even on our website, we have, um, which I think um, we have a great little booklet, um, our annual booklet on on that um, registry data, which I didn't touch on much of it, but I think a lot of people, especially people with spinal cord injury or people learning about spinal cord injury that that might want to know some high-level stats and some nice tables and figures and stuff like that. Perfect. Um, so, yes, I can definitely send you the link as well as at, at rickhanstoninstitute.org. Perfect. Well, yeah, we'll make sure we'll put them in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thanks, Nancy. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. Care. It is really fascinating to um, get a get an overview of just how much work that is and how complicated it is. Mm-hmm. Well, just like you were mentioning, all the data points that you have to gather, right? It's Yeah, like, you know, and all those things, 
I mean, if you think about it, like someone is in a car accident. Okay, well, is there, you have to ask the question, is, is this time a factor? Like mm-hmm. to the moment they're in the accident to when they get triaged, mm-hmm. does that factor in what the eventual Outcome's injury it be. is? Yep. They, have to, they have to collect all this data from all these different incidents to try to to try to see what the trend is to um, try to to try to build these, um, and that's just the intake. You know, once he's released or he or she's released from the hospital, then it's the whole rehab side of things, right? Yeah, you know, and the activities yeah. and and what rehab techniques are going to work best for this situation and the repetitions, like she talked about. Yeah, um, it's so deep. But you know, the other the other really surprising thing about it is that you know they're they're really one of the only ones in Canada, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, it really just shows you how important of a guy Rick Hansen is, mm-hmm. um, because without him, and without the Rick Hansen Institute, who knows what kind of research would be being plugged into this, if yeah. any. Um, and they're a small team, like she said, fifty people. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like it's incredible. It's incredible to me that organizations like this still have to go to the government and beg for funding. Yeah. You know, like yeah, I, I just, right. same with search and rescuers. I just don't get it. Like these are kind of essential services. Yeah. You know, and I don't know why we have to go with our hands out or our hat out saying, you know, please give us money. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. You know. Yeah, nonprofits having to beg for money and it's such a critical service. Yeah. And yet there's like 6,000 flavors of Oreos. Like there's all this research being put into developing new new flavors of Oreos. Yep. Let's take some of that Oreo money and let's <laughs> let's plug it into the Rick Hansen Institute people. Exactly. Come on. Yep. Uh, no, but they're doing such important and incre- incredible work there. So uh, I was so fun. That was, that was great to talk to them. Did you, were you, you seem to be a little bit disappointed that uh, stem cells weren't, didn't seem to be the, well, the new. She only mentioned the word stem cell once, and it's been such a, a buzzword for years, you know, especially in the, in the like she said, the, the diabetes and the blindness fields. So I wanted to kind of touch on stem cells because we didn't talk about it. It is a hot topic. And I just wanted to, you know, kind of get her take on are stem cells being used in, in spinal cord research and what have the outcomes been? And, you know, she really didn't sound very positive on the stem cell research being done at this point in time. And well, you know, and it could, it could be that, you know, stem cells just do, are, are integral to say something like blindness, but it might not, they might not be as useful in, I mean, it sounded like there's the still, research hasn't been done yet. There's still research yeah. being done out there. It's just not being done by them. Right. I think she mentioned us uh, yeah. there the, some, somewhere in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, people are working on it. So, yep. you know, who knows? But I mean, again, you know, it goes back to, you know, the media throws these buzzwords mm-hmm. out there and people pick up on them, stem cells, stem cells, stem cells. And, yep. and I, you know, I guess, you know, lay people, uh, you know, they just assume that, well, stem cells are going to solve all the problems. They're just going to be able to stick a needle in something, extract some juice. Well, they reprogram it. the cells, plug them back in and away you go. Yeah. You know? And but. it's clearly not that no not that easy well she was saying what is it 17 years down the road yeah, you know the well, research you know? yep and so yeah well and i found it kind of interesting too that she was talking about falls are kind of the number one leading cause of that spinal was injury. that was a really interesting stat yeah. too and you know this well, is where our this, aging population right this data becomes so important too mm-hmm. um because i never even considered that but you know and i was being you know i, I it, it was a little bit of a of tongue-in-cheek but you know the the driverless car Mm-hmm. topic that I brought up, you know, it, that's a legitimate 
Sure. I, I think conversation to have is that, you know, if if something like driverless cars can reduce the amount of of traffic accidents and if, you know, what did you say, 45% of spinal cord injuries are come as a result of transportation or so. transportation-related accidents, yeah. um, if, if we can, you know, really decrease that number, that's going to have a big impact. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I think, you know, self-driving vehicles is going to help society in general, you know. Yeah, they really need to move on that. It's not Let's even just going. injuries, it's just people being responsible. Just don't put Microsoft in charge of updating the driverless cars. That's all I ask. Well, there's a new update They're, coming up I soon. I know. And you know, <laughs> you know, it's a bad sign when, not to get off too much into the weeds, but it's the end of the show. We might as well go <laughs> off into the weeds. But, man, Mike, what the hell is going on with Microsoft Update? Like, every time there's a major Microsoft Update, they release it, and then two days later, they're like, hey, yeah, you know that Microsoft update that we released? Yeah, probably a good idea to not install that because <laughs> it breaks something else. Well, the problem is Microsoft has this whole insider program that are, rep- that are reporting bugs or supposedly reporting bugs back to the teams, and Microsoft's still pushing out these updates without yeah, well, fishing not, these issues. So they're not obviously, doing their job. No, they're not. So stop it. So go into your Windows updates and delay your updates for 30 days just to be safe. Because you don't want it to be automatically pushed to you and find out all of a sudden that you yeah. can't get on the network or that it's wiped out your files. Or <laughs> who knows what Who That's knows right. what, what the new one will be? You don't know, but it's coming. Yeah. Anyways. Yep. Hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? ATBanter.com. They can also email us, I hear, at cowbell at ATBanter.com. And we have no Steve today, so we don't I know. have a cowbell sound. I know. So Silent cowbell. Wah, wah. Where else can people find us? They can find us on Facebook, AT Banter, Twitter, AT underscore Banter, Instagram, AT Banter. All one word. All (laughs) one word. I knew you didn't know our Instagram. (laughs) Nope. I don't use it. I thought I would help you. All right. That was pretty good. You you knew that you knew the different tags. I'm impressed. I sometimes pay attention. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What else? That's it. Um, yeah, that's it. Yep. And your favorite podcast app. Yeah, we're on everything. Spotify, Stitcher, yep. blah, 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 blah. Just whatever. We're everywhere. 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 They're everywhere. Uh, all right, everybody. That's going to do it for us this week. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.